Hey, well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, Midtown. Good to see you guys this morning. I see several people in blankets and coats. It's definitely freezing in here. <laughs> My name is Justin, uh, one of the associate pastors here at Midtown. Um, hope that I can meet those of you whom I've not met before. I thought I'd tell you one little interesting thing about myself. Um, my wife and I just celebrated our 16th anniversary, so that's nice. So we, do, uh, we do a pretty fun thing that we stole from her brother-in-law, uh, or her brother and sister-in-law, where every year for our anniversary, one person plans a trip and keeps it a secret from the other one the entire time. So you have no idea where you're going. You're just given a little bit of the temperature and maybe what to pack. And so it was her year this year, so I didn't know where we were going until we were on the plane, but we went to Yosemite, which is pretty cool if you've ever been there. It's, yeah, it's so, so beautiful. It's my first time ever to go. So I highly recommend it. You should go sometime in your life. Um, we have a couple of uh, things that I want to say by, by way of introduction. Um, one, I told you something about me. would love for you to tell us something about yourself by actually filling out those connection cards. So just want to remind you about that. I uh, would love to, to hear from you, particularly if you're new or visiting. Uh, welcome, and we'd love to know that you are here. Um, now, I want to honor a special person. We've got a newcomer. So this is Bennett Bolton. Say hi to Bennett. <laughs> Yeah? <laughs> Congrats, guys. And uh, we've got some more babies to introduce in coming weeks because there was another one born, too. So we're, we're excited to be growing that way. Um, then I have some really exciting news, too, to, to give you an update. Jake alluded to it a little bit yesterday or last week, but we are, we are moving into Lee. And here's the cool part of the story. Uh, Jake finally got the face-to-face with the principal to talk about the details and they were beyond generous, so generous that they actually said that they want to use our sound equipment and we get to permanently set up our stuff in their building. Isn't that awesome? If you're on the setup team or the breakdown team, you should be very excited right now because we're going to have like permanent seats and sound systems set up. The band's going to be able to come in and get going. Uh, so we'll still need help setting up the kids' rooms and stuff like that, but we've been given tremendous favor by them. So praise the Lord for that. He's been with us every step of the way. Um, so just to give you an idea on the timeline for that, um, October 29th is going to be our first Sunday there. So we've got three more Sundays here, and we'll be communicating that kind of as, as the weeks get going. Um, we've even got some opportunities to serve already, which is really cool. So on the 21st, the Saturday, they're letting us come in and actually set up the sound equipment, and then we'll have our worship here on the 22nd with kind of a secondary sound equipment uh, during the women's retreat that weekend. So we'll have a scaled back uh, worship a little bit that Sunday. And then on the 28th, they have their Halloween party Friday after school, and they've invited all of us to participate, which is really cool. And then the next day, the Saturday, or the 27th, the Saturday, the 28th, they've invited us to actually serve and help them clean up after the Halloween party. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we want to represent, and we want to be there in force and help them clean up and just start a great relationship uh, with Lee Elementary. So stay tuned for all that. Again, October 29th will be our first time that we're there. Um, we're going to continue this morning teaching through the book of Acts. So we've called it the birth of a movement. What we're looking at this fall, and we'll be going kind of Acts chapter 1 through chapter 7, which really details the story of how the first church got started in Jerusalem. So the very first church in the city. And we're looking at that and, and drawing from it like implications to what it means for us as a body, um, which I think has been uh, tremendous, is going to continue to be. And today in particular, we get to, to look at one of the passages that many people think is like, one of the best descriptions of the church in the entire Bible. In fact, there's whole churches I know of and ministries I know of that have named their churches or their movements after key verses in this passage. Uh, one of the things that you'll see in Acts, we'll have like stories of different things that have been happening. And every now and then, Luke, the author of Acts, will, will kind of take a step back and there'll be a few verses that just kind of describe, it's almost like a summary, like a little book report summary, like 
Here's what the church looked like. And there's several, several of them that we'll get to as we continue through Acts. And this is the first one. It's Acts 2, 42 through 47. And some would say it's, it's the most perfect description of what the church should be. So let me ask you a question before we actually read it together. What do you think the church should be doing? Be thinking about that with me here this morning. I'm going to do something else by way of introduction, but even as I do, think, what should the church be doing? Secondly, ask yourself and think, maybe even write down some notes before we get into it, what should be the results? Like, what should the church be doing and what should God be doing as a result of what the church is doing? That's what we're going to look at today because we're going to see it uh, real clearly um, in these scriptures. So think about those two questions for a minute. And then before uh, I get into it, I did want to say one thing regarding the interpretation of Acts. So one of the things I think that will be helpful for us as we continue to look through the book of Acts is how how to interpret narrative passages. And so Acts is a narrative piece of scripture where you get the epistles where Paul's writing and telling them to do things. Acts doesn't really necessarily tell us to do things as much as it tells us what the church did. And so, so one of the things you have to do when interpreting a book that's a narrative is you have to say what parts are descriptive and what parts are prescriptive. So descriptive is like, here's what the church looked like. Here's what they were doing. But prescriptive is, here's what it's telling us to do. And that's tricky when you're, when you're studying a, a narrative, when you're studying the book of Acts, because you always have to ask yourself, like, how do we apply this today? So if we were to take, like, the book of Acts and actually try to treat it uh, prescriptively, like this is exactly what we should be doing, that means that we should be meeting every single day. That means that we should be praying every day at 3 p.m. That means that we should all sell our homes and give it to Midtown Church. That means we should actually have a bonfire of all of our idolatrous stuff and pile it in the middle of some field somewhere and burn it together. That sounds like fun, right? It means that we should be doing open-air preaching, and it means we shouldn't be meeting in this building. We should be meeting in houses. And so you can't take a narrative book and always be interpreting it, the descriptive parts, as prescriptive. But what you do is you take the narrative text and you look at it and you see what's descriptive and you, you draw out, like, what does it say for us today? So we could read the book of Acts and very clearly say things like, yeah, we should be teaching the Bible. <laughs> yeah, we should be sharing the gospel. We should baptize new believers. We should send missionaries. Uh, we should appoint elders. And so you take the, the descriptive parts and you have to very carefully, through your interpretation, determine what it means for us today. Because what happens with narrative parts, people can do one of three errors. <laughs> one error in reading a narrative, it's a, it's a part that you kind of don't like or don't want to apply to your life. In a narrative, you can say, oh, well, well, that's just descriptive of them. That's not for me. Or another error, you see people do this too, where they'll actually pick their favorite parts of the narrative and they'll build a legalism around it and say, this is what we should all be doing because this is what the first church did. Or the third thing that I see happen pretty common is we just look at it and we try to say, well, we're, we're, we're a first church. We're, we're like a New Testament church, not like all these churches out there today. And the fact is the church has looked different all over the place. The church here in Austin is going to look very different from the church that Joseph's going to be a part of in Tanzania. And so we read these narratives and we ask ourselves, from what we get as descriptive, particularly in these verses we're looking today, we say, how can we, through discernment and through the Spirit, hear what's prescriptive today? And then the most important thing is we take the descriptive things and then we go to the prescriptive uh, books of the Bible, like the epistles, when Paul's actually writing back to these churches and saying, here's what you should be doing. And then you have a perfect marriage where you you learn about what it looked like narratively, but now you can see here's what Paul's telling them to do. 
And so what I hope to do today is three things. We're going to look at, look at kind of these distinctives in this first description of the church. We're going to look at the descriptive parts. And then with each, I hope to show you like a parallel prescriptive verse in the New Testament after the church was formed and these authors are writing back to the believers saying, this isn't just narrative, like you guys should be doing these things. And then I hope to show a little bit how we as Midtown are actually trying to do these things because we have a ministry philosophy in a way that we're trying to practice these things as well. Sound fair? Why don't I read the passage and then pray and we'll jump in. Acts 2, 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of the bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who was in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's pray. It's so beautiful, God, to to read this description that Luke would give of this first century, very first church. We ask today as we uh, dwell on it and we think about how this church was described, that you would stir our hearts to live accordingly, to, to see the same thing happen in our church, among our people, and in this city. Uh, use this scripture, God, and speak to us uh, by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So first thing, it says they devoted themselves to four things. Before we jump into those four things, let's, let's talk just a minute about this word devoted. It was a, a verse or a verb that's not really used a whole lot throughout Scripture, but it has the idea of like continually giving themselves to. So it's not like they just happen to do these things. It's real clear in this passage when it says they devoted like of all the things they, be, they could be doing, they committed themselves continually to do these four things. And the first thing was to the apostles' teaching. So from the earliest days of the church, it was founded upon the apostles' teaching. If you remember when we were at, back in Acts chapter 1 a few weeks ago, they, they found it necessary to appoint the 12th apostle. And the requirement for the 12th apostle was that it had to be someone who was with Jesus the entire time of his life and was a witness to his resurrection. And so these were the people that they were gathering on, the ones that had been with Jesus all of his time, the people who had witnessed his resurrection. And they said, these are the reliable ones that we need to rely on their teaching. And I said a, a few weeks ago that, that one way you can look at Acts, it's like a, a, you go from one prayer meeting to the next prayer meeting and see what God does in between. Another way you can actually, particularly these first seven uh, chapters of Acts that we'll be studying this fall, it goes from sermon to sermon to sermon. And there's just what happens in between the sermons. And so they continually gave themselves to the apostles' teaching. And it was the apostles' teaching that motivated the church. And then you see, if you go on further in Acts, you see Paul do the same thing. When he would, as a missionary, go to these foreign lands, he would go and he'd go into the synagogues. And it says that he would start reasoning with them, trying to prove from the Old Testament that Jesus was the Messiah. You see them time and time again when they're giving you sermons, they're quoting Old Testament, so you know that they're studying it and thinking about it and looking at all the Messianic Psalms that are quoted. They're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Then ultimately, as we get past Acts, then you get where then the apostles are actually writing letters back to the churches saying, this is the apostles' teaching. We're the apostles. We're giving you this teaching. And that's what we have today in our scriptures. We have the apostles' teaching. And so we need to devote ourselves like they did to the apostles' teaching, to the Word of God. And that's what we're giving ourselves to. So that's descriptive of, of what they were doing. Let's think about a prescriptive uh, verse in 2 Timothy 4. 
Again, this is a letter that Paul would write later to one of his disciples, Timothy, who's pastoring a church. And here's his prescriptive command. In the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. We believe this. We believe that God has inspired Scripture. God has inspired and protected Scripture for us that we have the apostles' teaching. So that's why at Midtown, one of the ways that you'll see us do this is we're going to teach from the Bible every single Sunday. Sometimes we're going to walk like we're doing in this season right now, straight through a book of the Bible. Other times we're going to pick a topical series and then maybe teach on a certain topic for a period of time. But every time as we worship, we're going to gather and treat the Bible itself as God's authority. We're devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching. The same would be true for what we call our huddles. Our huddles are our discipleship environments where two to three to four people meet together weekly or every other week. And part of the commitment of being in a huddle and being in a discipleship relationship is you're going to study the Word together. And there's an accountability and a commitment that this is what we're going to base our lives by. This is what we're going to live by. And as a church, we're going to do that in a public setting. And we want us all to be doing it in our, in our small group settings as well, that the Scripture is what drives all of our conversations, is what we look to, for it to be our authority, for it to be our guide. That's how we're trying to practice this um, in our church. Second thing they devoted themselves to was to fellowship. They devoted themselves to fellowship. I love that it says that they devoted themselves to fellowship, and then later on in the Scripture it says that they met together in the temple every day and in each other's homes. So you get this, I love this great diversity that they're meeting often, but they're in a large group in the temple, but then they're also in small groups in people's homes. This is where you get some of the idea of us having a corporate worship, something like this, but also the deep commitment within our church to have small groups and to get people plugged into midtown communities because we need both to be, um, to follow uh, this example. I want to say a few things about this whole idea of committing to fellowship. Um, because it's been my observation, um, not so much as like everyone here, but just generally speaking in the, in the church in America, there's not this devotion. Remember this word devoted? Like I'm continually devoting myself to something. This is something I'm going to do. This is something the church said, we're devoted to this. We're going to meet together. And you see here, they met together daily. We might not get to do that, but I question sometimes our commitment to meet together. I think about all my years of college ministry uh, at UT and the, the students that would come from very church backgrounds but would get to campus and just think that they don't need fellowship anymore. They can kind of walk with God by themselves. Or I think one of the blessings and, and sometimes can be a curse if not treated the right way is the technology that we have today. That we can listen to podcasts and you guys can go download podcasts and listen to teachers that are far better than me, far better than Jake. And what can happen, definitely way better than Jake. <laughs> You can go and, and listen to these podcasts, and, and it creates this false sense of like, oh, I've, I've been to church. You can watch church on TV and say, oh, well, I've been to church. No, you haven't. Matt Chandler is not your pastor. The Village is not your church. Tim Keller is not your pastor. Redeemer Presbyterian is not your church. When you put yourself into community in a church, you're making a commitment to be part of that fellowship. And you can't just sit by and just listen to podcasts and read books and think that that is a fulfillment of the way that God wants us to act and live as a church because we need community. Like Matt so eloquently said, that we, we need community in our midtown communities because it helps us know who we are and it helps us become who God wants us to be. We need those communities. 
One of the things that I've noticed too is there's kind of two types of people, and I just want to give a little, little challenge to both, both types if you can uh, receive this. One I would call maybe like the pew sitter. We don't have pews, so like black chair sitter. So you're like the black chair sitter. We've got, there's one temptation of people to think about church as just like, well, I just go sit in my pew or my chair, and I sit there for an hour and I participate in worship, and then I'm never connected with the rest of the body the rest of the week. And I would say by this at least description of the church, that doesn't fulfill what this, what this early church was like. I don't think it's what God intended for us just to, to sit in the back and sit there for an hour and then go our own way. So I would, I would urge you guys that, that aren't plugged into a Midtown community or you students who aren't plugged in a, a campus ministry, be it, be it Midtown College or another campus ministry on campus, don't just be a pew sitter. Like go get connected in communities. Find discipleship and connect with people. But there's another type. There's also the type that maybe is deeply committed to communities, but they don't value the corporate worship. And so they think, well, well, I've got my community, I'm studying the Bible with my buddies, but they don't value like the, the gathering of corporate worship. And I'd say to those people, I guess they're probably not here. <laughs> maybe they're listening to the podcast, which also could be troubling. I would say to them, like, like that's not what God has for you either. Like you're not meant just to survive in a small community. We're about to talk in a minute about how they broke bread and had communion. There's things that we do corporately in worship and communion and sharing together that are vital to your spiritual life and are vital to the life of the church and what God intended the church to be. So don't be a pew sitter. <laughs> don't be a, just a, a Sunday skipper, all right? We want, it, we want uh, everyone to be involved in both. For the sake of prescriptive verses, let's look at Hebrews 10. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Do you see it there? Like we need each other. We need people in our lives to be spurring us on toward love and good deeds, and we can't forsake meeting together in large groups and in small groups. Third thing they committed themselves to, they devoted themselves to breaking bread, it says that they broke bread in each other's homes with glad, sincere hearts, praising God. This whole idea of breaking bread didn't mean that they just had a meal together, though that's what it meant too. It meant that they were actually having communion together. Now, if you know much about the kind of the Jewish history, and of course this was kind of an early church which was full of, of Jewish people, they were normally uh, would celebrate their, their feast and their different uh, religious celebrations. Many of them accompanied food. In fact, the, the Passover, which is where we kind of get communion when Jesus issued the new covenant, was a celebration of how God had freed them from Egypt and that he passed over them. They were literally remembering that they had been saved by the blood of the lamb on a door. That was a Passover meal, and it was an entire meal that was meant to progress them through that story and remembering what God had done for them. And so when Jesus starts off initiating a new covenant, when he gathers his disciples and he says to them, hey, this is a new covenant of my blood. Take and eat. Take and drink. Like, He's initiating a new covenant. And so what they would do in this, this early church day is where they would gather, and in their worship gatherings and in their homes, they would, set, they would have a meal together, but a part of the meal was to have communion, to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And so I just ask, like, are we devoted to that like they were? Again, our setting for doing that is, is here on a Sunday morning. Not that it can't be done in your midtown communities or in any other setting. There's freedom to do that. But how can we be like this early church if we're not devoted to sharing in communion uh, together? 
Now you might say, well, well, prescriptively, how do we do that? Because if you look at the way communion's done throughout the history of the church, 2,000-year history, rich history, many different churches and denominations choose to do it different ways, but what they've held to you prescriptively is, is taking it. And we as a church have, have decided that we want to do this weekly. And so we love it because it's a chance to always be reminded of the gospel every single week. And I've talked with many of you, and some of you who've even uh, joined the church have said that was a large part of the reason you joined the church, because you enjoy taking communion every single week. That's just a conviction that we have. But prescriptively, where do you find it? You find it at least in 1 Corinthians 11. Now, this is Paul writing back to the Corinthian church. And if you know much about the Corinthian church, if you read 1 Corinthians, they're a pretty messed up church. <laughs> there was a lot of rebuke that, that, that Paul was writing them saying, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong. And this is crazy. Actually, in 1 Corinthians 11, because it was a, a meal, remember, that they, that they had communion in, they were actually getting drunk <laughs> on the communion wine. So, so next time you think that, like, our church is messed up, just, just think Corinthians. That's all you got to do. Actually, this is pretty funny, just as a quick side note. Um, there's the newest church plant in the Hill Country Network is this church called uh, uh, Eastside Church. Uh, they're just kind of like at 12th and Chacon. Um, great church. They started about a year ago. And so they do real wine for their communion, or they did. They were doing real wine for their communion, and then a few weeks they found out that some people were sneaking to the back and like just chugging and <laughs> drinking the rest of it. So they switched to grape juice. So it's not funny, but I did think it was... I did think it was funny that, like, who thought that, like, 1 Corinthians 11, like, still happens? Like, it, it happened at, at our newest church. So, there's application. But here's the prescriptive part, 1 Corinthians 11. This is Paul saying, For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread. And when he given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way... After supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup, is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink in remembrance of me. And here's the prescriptive part. Paul reminds them, for whatever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's what they were devoted to. It's what we should be devoted to. The fourth thing on the list is they devoted themselves to prayer. And I'd say also praise, because you see it as they devoted themselves to prayer, but at the end it says they, they met together in each, each other's homes, praising God. Quite simply, this was just the rhythm of the church. Like they would gather together and they would pray and they would share prayer requests. And sometimes it was a great time to rejoice and, and praise God for what He's done. And other times it was sharing each other's burdens and praying for each other. This was the normal rhythm of the church. So i just just ask you for a moment, like, how would you describe... What verb would you put before your prayer life? Is it, I'm devoting myself to prayer. I'm continually committed to it. What would you say would be the gauge like of our church, like as a church? How, how are we? Are we devoting ourselves to prayer? This is what the early church did. There's at least a couple reasons why this is so important. Just real simply, like that's how you grow in your relationship with God. Your intimacy with God is conversation. It's like any other relationship you have. It's conversation is what brings you closer. And it's not just asking God for stuff. It's, it's thanking God for what He's done. It's praising Him for who He is. It's confessing your sins. It's, it's asking God to help you. It's interceding on behalf of others. It's praying for the nations. All of these things are vital to your own intimacy with God. But not just your intimacy, because as we discover, as we continue to read Acts, the prayer that they're talking about here mostly was group prayer. And group prayer is vital to our intimacy with each other. To get together in your midtown communities or with your friends or your roommates or your spouse and have a conversation about what your prayer needs are and to pray for each other, 
that increases our intimacy with one another. It's vital to the life of a church, let alone the fact that prayer is important because that's God's sovereign way of working in the world. So it's amazing that we can sit here and we could pray for Tanzania and stuff can happen because we've prayed. That's God's sovereign way of working in the world and, and the joy is that we get to be a part of it. And they recognize that to such a degree that they devoted themselves to it. Among all these four things, we are not going to stop praying. They committed themselves to it. That's descriptive, but what about prescriptive? Take 1 Timothy 2. You could take probably dozens of verses here, but 1 Timothy 2. Paul's writing, again, Timothy, his disciple. He was the pastor of the largest church at that time, the church in Ephesus. And here's his first command in this book to Timothy. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. You get an idea of what they were praying for those people based on what God's heart is for all people. They were praying that people would be saved, that the kings and rulers and authorities and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving would be made for everyone. This is a command. It's, it's a prescriptive thing that we're supposed to be doing, that we're supposed to give ourselves to prayer. And so at Midtown, we've, we've tried to do that in a couple ways. We, we have prayer every Sunday morning at 9.45, and we would love for more of you guys to join us. It's just a short 45-minute time to pray and ask God to be here and be with us as a church, for Him to move among us. I believe that there's things that are happening here this morning as God's Spirit is speaking to you that wouldn't have happened had we not prayed beforehand. Join us for, for prayer. And our Midtown communities, one of the things that we say every Midtown community is supposed to do is have a time of sharing and prayer. So when you join those groups and you, you catch up with each other and you share prayer requests and you share each other's burdens, it's a chance for you to minister by praying for each other. Same is true for these connection cards. We point it out every single week, man. You guys, you guys fill out these prayer requests. It helps us know what's going on with you. And every Thursday morning at 545, the elders have these cards in front of them and they're praying. And the staff pray for them too. And often on Sunday mornings, we pray for them upstairs. We started doing this last year, First Tuesday Prayer, where once a month we say, hey, let's devote ourselves to prayer at least once a month together. That First Tuesday is coming up, and we're going to have prayer at 6 a.m. So you can join us at Midtown offices at 6 a.m. We're doing something a little bit different, so this is a little bit of an announcement. Uh, we're not going to do 6 p.m. prayer this, this First Tuesday, because this First Tuesday is a, a citywide event called National, uh, Neighbor, National Neighborhood Night Out. And so it's a big citywide thing where lots of different neighborhoods are having get-togethers, and we want you guys to live as missionaries in your neighborhoods. But what we are going to do, and you'll get an email about this tomorrow, we're going to have several of our neighborhoods where people live that are participating in Neighborhood Night Out are going to have a short prayer meeting prior to their Neighborhood Night Out. So you could go join them in their neighborhoods, pray together for a bit, and head out to one of these, these neighborhood gatherings together. Wonderful place uh, to, meet, to meet neighbors. And then again, uh, on the prayer note, just to let you know, this February, just like we did last year, that saturate fast, this February we're going to do another fast together. Uh, not sure exactly the length of time, but we're going to devote ourselves to prayer by all praying the same prayers for a several-week period of time. I'm excited about that. Let's look at one more thing. This wasn't something that said they were devoted to. We've got they were devoted to apostles' teaching, the breaking uh, fellowship, breaking the bed in prayer. But one other thing that we see here was they were devoted or a descriptive of them would say that they were sacrificial in their giving. It's crazy. It says that they had all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to anyone who had need. 
We're glad that that's not prescriptive, right? <laughs> Everyone go sell your house. No, but there was this generosity that was coming from them that was part of the witness to the world around them, the way that they cared for each, each person. Just as a side note, this wasn't like socialism. It doesn't mean like we're all supposed to be socialists as believers. This is a, a descriptive way of they were giving in their time. Uh, in fact, it's not forced because that would be socialism where it's forced. It's not forced upon them. In fact, the whole uh, kind of motif, if you look at all the giving passages throughout the New Testament, they all talk about giving freely, giving out of your own heart, giving out of your own desires. It also wasn't necessarily to meet, make everybody equal, that everyone had to have the same type of needs. If you read the rest of the New Testament on the passage on, on giving, they talk about there being rich people and challenges for rich people to give. They talk about there being poor people. There was rich, there was poor. Everyone was called to give as was put on their own heart. But God was stirring in such a way during this first early church that the, the giving was completely sacrificial. I mean, people were giving away everything because God had so stirred in their hearts. That's the type of giving we want to have here at Midtown as well. As for prescriptive, prescriptive let's look at 1 Corinthians 16. Paul, again, is writing the Corinthian church, that struggling church, and he's talking to them now about giving. And he says, now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what we told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have been made. So again, it's a little tricky in, the, in regard to prescriptive or descriptive. Do we all have to, on the first day of the month, do this? I don't think so. But I think it's very clear that, that we're supposed to give in a regimented way, to prayerfully ask God, like, God, what would you have me give to the church? God, what would you have me give to some other cause that I care about? God, what would you have me give to one of our missionaries? And pray about it and decide and then set that aside. We have a real easy way to do it and that you can just do online giving and, and just get it kind of taken out of your account. Some people like to do that. Other people feel like it's not as sacrificial or they like the, the, the actual handing of money or writing of a check. You could do that as too. Just find your own conviction. But the principle or the prescriptor part is really, sim is really simple, that we should be sacrificially giving, I believe, in a regimented way. You should know too that Midtown tries to practice this too that we try to give. Like not all the funds that come into Midtown go to support our staff or our ministries. Some of the funds that come in, we are pushing out because we're wanting to give out too. So we've got Joseph. We've got three other missionaries that we support. We have a benevolence offering. So every single month, there's a chunk of the, the funds that goes to what we call benevolence, which gives us the opportunity to help anyone here that has needs. Maybe you didn't know that. If you've got some financial situation or something difficult happening in your life, you can approach us and say, hey, Church body, I need some help. I can't share the details, but we had the opportunity to do that even this week and help someone pay rent. And so this is something that we practice as a church as well, trying to model the descriptive model that we see here in Acts. I'm going to quickly move to the last part here and ask the second question. That was, what was the church like? The last question, which I, I love this so, so much in this passage, is what happened as a result? These are the things they committed themselves to. Here's what was descriptive of who they were, but what happened as a result? The first thing that happened is there was a sense of awe among them. It says that everyone was filled with awe. I believe there was a sense of the power and presence of God among them. There was such a tangible sense that God was among them that people were in awe. 
whether they believed or not. And in this case, it was through the signs and wonders performed by the apostles. Uh, We believe that the apostles, and you'll see this as we continue to read through Acts, God used them to perform many signs and miracles. And in 2 Corinthians, when Paul's kind of defending his uh, apostleship, he says actually what makes someone an apostle is the proclamation of the gospel and that they have performed signs and miracles. And so God gave the authority to the apostles to do this work. Now, we still believe not in the role of apostle, but we believe in the gift of apostle. We believe in the gift of healing. That's why when we have prayer at the end of our service here today, we're going to have people in the back that are ready to pray for you. And we want to see God heal people and do the same sort of signs among them. But they were filled with awe. Can you think of your own testimony? Maybe a time when you were just starting to seek the Lord and you, you jumped into a church or in some setting where all of a sudden you just felt like, oh my gosh, God is here. Like this is, this is different. Something's happening inside me. That's the awe that all of them were experiencing. Second result was that they had favor. They had a good reputation with outsiders. It says that they grew in favor with all people. People looked upon them favorably. Think maybe back to your testimony. Maybe you're like me and you can actually point to someone who started witnessing to you. And a large part of your reason for believing was actually watching their life and seeing it. Mine case was a family and watching this family that was very different from mine. And God's favor was on them. And I, I looked upon them with favor and said, there's something different that's happening among these people. And they had a good reputation. And you might argue that that's not the case in our day. The church certainly has a bad reputation among many. Um, some of that, I honestly believe, is just more portrayed by media and people are generalizing their discontent or they're hurt by the church. But in many cases, it's very real. And that's why we're, we value so much the whole idea of embracing people groups, for you to look at the people around them and recognize that you are the person who's going to reveal God to them. And so you're the one that gets to reshape what they think about the church by the way that you love them and care for them, no matter what they believe, no matter if they want to follow Jesus with you or not. That's what we're doing neighborhood night out. Like, let's go meet neighbors and let's love people. Let's earn favor with Lee Elementary when we move in by serving together by loving the neighbors and everyone around there well. Like these are opportunities where we too can grow in favor. And last, and perhaps most encouraging, was increase. The Lord added daily the number that were being saved. Oh man, wouldn't you love to say that for Midtown Church? It's certainly true of the church in Austin. I'm sure that daily people are being added to the large capital C church in Austin. I love that uh, we had a, a year-end report just a few weeks ago. We kind of do our calendar year from September to the end of August, and we were able to report that at the end of August this last year, we had 18 new people become partners at our church. So we've increased in number. We had eight people put their faith in Christ, including three of our kids, uh, our children, in our, in our households. So we are increasing in number. But man, what about the day when God would add daily those that are being saved? We, we long for that. We want that. We want to see it in our day as well. Do you understand now the the difference between descriptive and prescriptive? We've got a wonderful description of this very first body of Christ, the things that they devoted themselves to and what God did as a result. One of the things I love about this passage is I I love to pray this passage. Like I would take all those eight things that I just mentioned and pray they would be true of our church, that that we would grow in our, in our teaching, in our fellowship, our breaking of bread, our prayer, that we'd be sacrificial in our giving, that, that there would be awe among us 
that we grow in our favor with other people, and that God would add daily to our number. Would y'all join me in praying that this week, meditating further on this passage and saying, God, make this true of our church. I like that we get to study a passage here where they actually had communion because now we can celebrate it together as well. And though we do it differently than they did in this first church, we still have the opportunity to partake. And as we do, I want us to remember and think about the body of Christ. Think about 2,000 years of history of God adding to our number those who are being saved. And as you take it, I want you to think about this body, this body at Midtown, that, that this is a part of our worship, that we come together as a family and we celebrate the gospel and what Jesus has done for us. At Midtown, we practice open communion, so everyone is, is able to come if you've put your faith in Christ. If you're not sure that you really have put your faith in Christ, we would ask that you would wait until you're sure that you have. And, and that might even be a great first step to take communion as your first step of faith. We're going to have worship as the worship uh, goes on. At any time, you can come forward or back to, to take communion. Uh, think upon the Lord, and let's worship together. And let's think about God, and let's come to Him in awe of who He is. We have uh, Matt Cooper and Shelby, I think, are here. Alyssa's filling in for Shelby. And Matt Cooper, they're back at the back. They would love to pray for you and pray for a miracle in your life, so feel free to approach them for prayer as well. Let me pray. What a great description of this church. God, we ask that you would show us how to be uh, the same in our day. We know it's different 2,000 years later, yet we know we're still called to some of these same things. Just show us as a church, and then show us individually how we can be devoted to these things as well. And would you, God, by your mercy, just by your grace, would you Fill us with awe. Would you give us favor with outsiders? And would you add to our number daily as we devote ourselves to these things? In Jesus' name, amen.